0: Well, good morning, I'm Pastor Allen, glad that you're joining us. Uh, As usual, we're in a series, meaning we take a topic, talk about it for multiple weeks, and the series we're in now is called God is blank. We're talking about the characteristics of God, the attributes of God, and today's topic is, we're going to fill that word in with God is trustworthy. Now, just because I said it doesn't mean it's necessarily true, right? So, why would you say that God is trustworthy? If somebody asked you, what would you say? What, why would you believe God is trustworthy? Or think about it this way. If you're married, why would your spouse say that you're trustworthy? Hopefully they would. A <laughs> uh, good friend of yours, why would you say they're trustworthy? Um, some things come to mind for me. For example, they, they do what they say they're going to do. I can trust them to do that. Or... Um, They keep their promises, right? So we've been talking in this series about the fact that this is one of the most important things for you and I, to understand what God is like. And we have a quote from A.W. Tozer who says it this way, What comes into our minds when we think about God, I'm going to bring that up please, is the most important thing about us. Because it affects the way we view God, how we treat God, how we treat people, what we do with our lives, so it's really, really important. So that's why we're studying this. So, God's trustworthy? Let me give you the flip side of that. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? Could be something personal, personal health issue, personal financial issue, personal relationship issue. It could be something bigger, macro, like... Uh, uh, Something in the world, politics of the world, uh, war, famine, those type type things. You might even said, uh, I wasn't worried about anything, Pastor. You started listening to things, the economy, whatever it might be, right? So, what we worry about, what we worry about the most, this is on your outline, reveals where you trust God the least. So, I don't know what came to mind for you when you were thinking about that, but whatever it is, so maybe it's a health issue. You're just all worried about it. Maybe you've got a doctor's appointment coming up. I don't know. Uh, then you're not trusting God with your health. That's the bottom line. You're not trusting God with your health. Worried about your finances? Not trusting God with your finances. So worry is a big issue for us. And I talk about this multiple times. Uh, unfortunately, we, Jesus also understood it was a big issue for us. So in his first sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle, he, sit, he talks about worry. So let's look at that first as we start off this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Jesus is speaking. Not to worry about everyday life. For them, it was food and drink or enough clothes to wear. For us today, it's a little bit different. Most of us have plenty of foods and drink and clothes. So we have other worries everyday worries he said isn't life more than these worries the food and your body more than clothing see part of our problem is we have so much don't we we have so many things we have possessions the problem with possessions is they tend to possess you um we've been in our house almost 16 years our dryer stopped working last week i had to buy a new dryer this week um Possessions possess you. They come in handy, but they possess you, don't they? So he goes on and talks about God takes care of the birds. And then he said, can all your worries, all your worries, can add a single moment to your life? In fact, doctors would tell us the stress of our lives take time off our lives. We live shorter time. The obvious answer is no. Worries don't add a single moment to my life. Now, we, we, we use other words, don't we? Like, I'm, conser- I'm not worried, I'm just concerned. Let me tell you my understanding of the difference between <laughs> worry and concern. Worry immobilizes you. Worry paralyzes you. You just sit and fret and worry and do nothing. Concern, on the other hand, acts. Concern, if I'm concerned about you, I'm going to help you. I might just worry about your issues, But if I'm concerned, I'm going to literally help you. Text goes on. Talks about flowers. God takes care of the flowers. And he says, how much more will he, God, clothe you of little faith? You have no, what's the word? Trust. You don't trust me. When you and I worry, we don't trust God. We don't trust the character of God. The text goes on. But first and most importantly, what would you say? First and most importantly, what would you say? Well, Jesus said, seek or aim or strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean? His way of doing and being right. The attitude and character of God our word character and all these things will be given to you also so what are you striving for is it your relationship with God first and foremost then don't have to worry about the other stuff too much so often other things get up there on top of the list don't they and I start worrying about this what do we seek first and then he finishes this way do not worry about tomorrow most our worries are in the future right I mean, eventually they come. If I'm worried about something on Wednesday, eventually Wednesday comes. But right now I'm worried about something in the future. So it's let tomorrow worry about itself. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Living faithfully is a large enough task for today. Would you agree with that? Faithfully serving God, safely obeying God. i got enough to worry about today or concern myself with today, it's a better word, uh, Then not have to worry about tomorrow. Now, some people say, well, aren't I supposed to plan? Absolutely. Planning helps you not worry about tomorrow. Uh, Corrie Ten Boom, uh, some of this generation might not know who she is. Uh, She was uh, in a Nazi prison war camp, and some of her, her family were killed, and she survived. And a great Christian lady, here's what she said. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of life's sorrow. Life's tough. Bad things are going to happen. There's going to be sorrows tomorrow, right? But what does it do? It empties today of its strength. So it goes back to a fundamental question. It goes back to the beginning of our Scripture, back into the garden. We talked about this recently. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. They've got one no-no, right? (laughs) It's hard to imagine. Just one thing you can't do. And rest is free. You can do, do whatever you want. Just one thing, all right? Satan comes to to, to Eve specifically and asks. Here's that fundamental question. Did God really say, well, we could put it this way, do you really trust God or trust what God says? And he, he says something that's ridiculous. He said, you must not eat any, any fruit of any trees in the garden. Of course, they had to eat something. And she said, no, 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 that, that's not what he said. He said, like, this one tree. So they fo- she, her focus went to the one tree, the one, no, no, the one thing they couldn't do. And so our focus went off of all the things God had given her, and her focus went to the one thing God withheld from her. We do the same thing, don't we? And he said, well, if you eat from that tree, God doesn't want to eat from that tree because you'll be like God. Now, being like God's a good thing, right? My wife just said, being more like Jesus this week than we were last week. It's being like God. Jesus is God. The problem is being God. We want to be God. We want to do what we want to do. We want to be the boss, and that was the problem, and that was the problem in this case. So, conclusion of the incident is in verse 6. The woman was convinced... Saw a tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Things we see and things we touch, right? And she wanted wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. So they made a choice, a bad choice. It's affected all mankind since then. I don't know who counts these things up, but that you're told that you and I make 35,000 choices a day, which is probably literally true. Every second you make a choice. Or not do that, whatever it might be. So, they were tempted. Is temptation a sin? Side, little sidebar here. Temptation a sin? Jesus was tempted. Did he ever sin? No. See, temptation is not a sin. What we need to do is resist Temptation, which they didn't do. One of the ways that you can, can resist temptation is by trusting God or acknowledging the fact that God is trustworthy. So, question on your outline. Is God trustworthy? Why would you say he's trustworthy? Lots of scriptures talk about it. The psalmist mentions it in Psalm 62, I believe it is. O God, my salvation and my glory, on God, my salvation and my glory rest. He is my rock of unyielding strength. My refuge is in God. So, consequently, trust confidently in him at all times. How often? All times. Trust him always. Things are going well, things aren't going well, doesn't matter. Trust him at all times. Because he is the rock. Pour out your heart before him. God is your refuge for you. Just like all these character qualities, it isn't that God is being trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Like God isn't loving. He is love. God can't be anything else. Like I can't be less than six feet tall. Well, maybe someday I will be. (laughs) But uh, I'm six feet tall. I can't be five foot eight. I can't be six foot three. I'm six foot tall. Well, God can't be anything other than trustworthy. So we're going to approach this kind of from three different directions. How do we know that God is trustworthy? Well, first, God has been trustworthy or faithful in the past. Over and over again, we find in Scripture, remember, remember, remember. We're going to look at one here in a minute. Um, The uh, communion, Lord's Supper. Uh, is a great example. We take one of the elements, what does it say you're supposed to do? Remember. Then you take the other element and what scriptures say we're supposed to do, remember. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament, back to the Israelites and Moses. And the Israelites uh, had been in in Egypt in captivity, the most powerful country in the world back then, for over 400 years. That's mind-boggling, right? That goes back to the beginning of our country. When people came to America, 400 plus years, and Moses comes along, God's instructions, performs these miracles. The tenth miracle is the Passover, death angel, and it passed over the people who had blood around their doorpost. And the Israelites, hopefully most of them or all of them, did. Even some of the Egyptians did. And at that point, when the Pharaoh's oldest son died, Pharaoh said, "Get out of here." And so they, they, they start to go, and they get up to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind, and he sends the army after him. <laughs> so it's up between a rock and a hard place, right? Red Sea, Egyptian army. Of course, God parts the Red Sea, they go across. He could have just closed the sea back up and left the army on the other side. But no, he even destroyed the army, right? So the Israelites had nothing to worry about so they get on the other side and Moses is addressing the people and here's what he says. This is a day to remember forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. How did, how did they get out? Did they do anything to get out? No, they didn't do anything. God did it all. And then he said, remember, eat no food containing yeast. Because this was beginning what they call the Passover. Right, biggest holiday, Jewish holiday, is the Passover, celebrating the, something that happened over 3,000 years ago. <clears throat> Remember. Remember the fact that you were in slavery. Remember the bad things. Remember the fact that God performed miracles, uh, the ten miracles. Remember the fact that God sent Moses. Remember the fact that he parted the Red Sea. Remember the fact that he destroyed uh, your enemy, the army. Remember the fact that you were in slavery forever, seemed like forever, generation after generation. Now you are free. So a simple conclusion would be this. God has done it before. He can do it again, right? Whatever God's done, He can do it again because who can stop God? So how do you remember? Well, I said, like, the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us. I'll give me another example from the Old Testament. Um, 40 years later, when Joshua leads the people into the promised land, they have to go across the Jordan River. The Jordan River is not very big. We've been there, we saw it. But yeah, it hinders you crossing. So, Moses gives the people this destruction. Came from God, of course. This is in Joshua chapter 4. <laughs> when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Israel has twelve tribes. We call them states. Or we like states here. All right. He says, tell, tell, tell them, Take twelve stones, not each take twelve, but each one take one, so it'll be twelve, from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carrying them out, pile them up in the place where they, where they camp tonight. So, what did the priests do? They carried the, remember last week, the Ark of the Covenant, that box with a mercy seat on top? They carried it into the middle of the Jordan River. The river stopped so they could walk around across on dry land. Out of that dry riverbed, they were supposed to take 12 stones, right? Pile them up where you'll camp tonight. The text goes on. We will use these stones for what? To build a memorial, to build a reminder. And in the future, your children will ask, hey, what are these stones for? What do these stones mean? Why is this pile of stones here? Then you can tell them. They remind us. We remember that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as, again, a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So let me ask you. Ask you a question. What are the pile of stones in your life? Each stone can represent God's faithfulness. Or maybe the pile in itself can represent the greatest area in your life where you feel God has been faithful. Pile these up. Something come to mind for you? Do you have a reminder? I don't have a physical reminder, but I have an incident in my life that is, I always look to or point to. And I've told, most of you have heard this story before, but this goes back to 1990. And we felt God didn't want us to go back to the mission field. So we resigned. And when you quit a job, what happens? You stop getting paid, right? So we had no income. And so, I would do some odd jobs. I would preach occasionally here or there. Uh, six of us now, we've got four children. And this went on. In fact, during that year, I helped Melvin, most of you know Melvin, uh, like a brother to me, uh, build a house. Um, and so, I wasn't getting paid for building this house. <laughs> um, I was just helping him build this house. Anyway, so... To this day, I don't know how, but we never went without. And then that started in July. Uh, December, foreign mission time, so I got to speak in some churches about being a missionary. And I spoke in the First Baptist Church of Waldorf, pretty good-sized church. And, of course, they pay you for coming and speak. But afterwards, the pastor came and gave me a check for $2,000. Somebody in the congregation wanted to bless us with $2,000. That was back in 1990. Um, Don't know who this person was, but I know God put it on their heart to give us that money because we needed it. And then right after that's when we started church. And within eight months, uh, nine months, I started pastoring this church and began getting a paycheck. So a little over a year, no regular paycheck. We had food, plenty of food to eat. Uh, we had a car to drive, gas in the car, etc., etc., etc. Again, to this day, I don't know how. But God was faithful to provide our needs and more during that time. Hopefully, you have your pollen stones where you've seen God has been faithful in your past. Could be something financial, could be something relationally whatever it might be. Secondly, oh, by the way, that house is a house that I raised our kids in. <laughs> Found up living in that house. And uh, we still own that house. We call it our care home. Um, so, God has been faithful in the past. If you're a Jesus follower, all of you can point back to a time. It could be at your point of salvation. It could be point of uh, your marriage or your children. It could be schooling. It could be lots of different things. So God's been faithful in the past. If he did it again. Secondly, how do we know God is trustworthy? Because God is faithful today. Today, right? He's faithful today. Going back to uh, the Israelites. After they got across the Red Sea, uh, we're going to read this in a few more minutes, but Moses, uh, God gave, told Moses to send out spies into the land. And I asked our small group on Thursday, why did he send the spies out? I believe he sent the spies out to see that the land was as as great as God said it was, flowing with milk and honey. And it was. They brought back huge clusters of grapes, for example. But there was something else in the land, right? There was grapes growing. There had to be people there. And they described the people as giants, And so ten of, the, 10 of the spies, if you will, 10 representatives of the 10 tribes came back and said, eh, we can't do it. This, two of them said otherwise, Joshua and Caleb. And here's what they said to the people. This is Numbers chapter 14. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid. See, fear, worry is basically fear, right? Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their, why? why Their protection is gone. God's not going to protect them. But the Lord is with us. If the Lord is on your side, you don't have to worry about the other side, do you? Don't be afraid of them. So I put on your outline. Our success in life is, not depe- is dependent upon the presence of God in our lives. Like it was for the Israelites. God was on their side. That determines success. Good news is, God is always with us, right? It goes back to Jesus being born. What did the angel say? Look, this is in Matthew chapter 1. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel. What's that mean? God is with us. He was with the Israelites in the Old Testament. He he was with the Israelites with the birth of Jesus. And he's with us today. And then what was the last thing Jesus said? Last thing he said before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 20. I am with you how much of the time? Always. So there's no time that he's not with us. Even to the end of the age. Now, how is he with us? Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. I asked you two weeks ago, is God in this room? And you said, yeah, he's an invisible God, so we can't see him. But he's even different than that. If you're a follower, God dwells in you. As hard as that is to comprehend, the God of the universe, in some small aspect, obviously, dwells in you and in me. We can't go anywhere without it. So I put on your outline. Our sense, our understanding of God's faithfulness is not dependent on the absence of problems. We all have problems, right? But on the presence of God. Is God truly always with me? Then he's faithful. He's trustworthy. I got to think about this way. When I'm I've been married a long time. Uh, when I'm by myself, life is a lot different than when I'm with my wife, especially when we've there's some challenge you are facing, right? Um, it's always better to have somebody with you than to be alone. As believers, we're never alone. Thinking about a time I'm away from my wife, this was back in the 80s when we were missionaries in Portugal. And our daughter was born, our third child. And, of course, grandparents want to see their new grandchild. So my wife took Josh and Micah and Andrea as a newborn to the United States for a month. So I'm in this foreign country, this strange country. only been there 15 months at this point. I speak the language somewhat at that point. And I was, she was going to be gone for... For a month. Well, the first month, first week wasn't bad. I went with another missionary and two Portuguese pastors to, this was in Portugal, to uh, Bordeaux, France, to a, a, a pastor's conference. It was in English, which was nice for me. The two Portuguese pastors knew English. But after the first week, I'm home, and I got three weeks of being by myself. It was tough i would never been away from my wife for that long before, and my children. But we're never away from God. Always present with us. So he's been faithful in the past. He's faithful now because he's with us, right? But most of our worries are about the future, aren't they? What's going to happen? It might be this afternoon, tomorrow, a year from now. So how do we know God is trustworthy? Because God is, be, will be faithful in the future. In the future. How do we know that the Israelites, after they crossed the Red Sea, didn't trust God? How do we know? Because they didn't go into the promised land. They didn't trust Him. Here's something I think is helpful for us to remember. Trust is a verb. It's not something intellectual. It's something we do. So they didn't go in the promised land, so they didn't trust God. If they went into the promised land, it would prove they trusted God. But how far does this go back? Well, back to Abraham. Like 500 years before that, the Lord said to Abraham, what? He said, appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. So it's not going to be for you, promised land, 500, he didn't know how long, 500 years later, I'm going to give it to your descendants. Notice the word give. Then fast forward to 500 years, and God's talking to Moses, and he says to Moses, send out the men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving, giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. Just simply think about it this way. How dumb is it to not take something that's given to you? Of course, it starts with salvation, right? It's a free gift from God. And we all know people that refuse the gift of salvation. God said, I'm going to give you this promised land, land land flowing with milk and honey. How dumb is it? Oh, there's challenges. There's giants. But God said, I'm giving this land to you. So literally, the end of the story you already written, right? Those people, other than Joshua and Caleb, didn't see it. But 40 years later, they did enter the promised land. So, what does Jesus tell us? We covered this recently. Last night of his life, within 24 hours, he's going to be dead. He's got his disciples around him. What does he say to him? Don't let your heart be troubled. You don't need to worry otherwise. Don't need to be afraid. Don't need to be cowardly. Now, he knew what was coming, right? He knew that he was going to be arrested and crucified. And he knew his disciples were going to think, well, we're next. <laughs> right? But he said, no. You don't have to worry. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Trust him. Have faith. Trust is having faith. Hold on to it. Rely on it. Keep on going. And believe also in so here's what I want, what, want to ask you: What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to God and His promises? God and His character? Are you holding on? Uh, are you holding on to that worry for whatever— for your health, for your finances, parents, for your kids, right? Grandparents for your grandkids. Oh, I'm this concerned. Is it concern? Is it worry? Let me put it this way Is there something better than God that you can hold on to? If you find it, let me know. So the bottom line question is Is God trustworthy? Been trustworthy in the past, He's trustworthy now. I believe you will be trustworthy in the future. I want, to do, I want you to do some self-examination. So sometime after you leave here, go back to your worries. What is it you truly worried about? For me, it's retirement. Let me be honest with you, retirement. Uh, a little bit financially, but I know we'll have enough money to live. But I've been doing what I've been doing for all, all my adult life. I'm going to stop doing that. I know in my head it'll be fine. So, why is it difficult for you or for me to trust God in these areas? Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, you are fully trustworthy, 100%. We need not doubt that, but we do. Uh, We're trapped in this physical world and we can't see you, we can't see the future. and It's sinful. Jesus says not to do it. If we do it, it's sinful. Forgive us. Forgive us for worry. Forgive us for our lack of trust. And forgive us for also being um, for examples, if you will, to our unbelieving friends and neighbors. One of the greatest ways we can share what being a Jesus follower, how it's different from non-believers is that we don't need to worry. That we trust you. We pray for anybody that's listening or watching this not a Jesus follower. We pray today would be the day that you would trust him enough to give him your life. Give me your sins, give me your shortcomings, your failures. Um, He says, come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up first. Just come as you are. All your baggage, all your garbage, all your addictions, all your bad habits. Jesus helped clean you up. You've got to accept the gift. I pray that you do that. For most of us as believers, God, we struggle in this area. We just pray for increasing faith to trust you more. Not only for ourselves, but those around us. Because you are an awesome God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.